This is the Wadcar Podcast covering automotive electrification news recorded February 10th, 2021. Episode 1, The Beta. I think the uh, parlance that's popular in the industry is first ever. So we're the first ever all new podcast. Totally redesigned. And uh, for those curious, the person that was just speaking was uh, Ed Sanchez. He is a senior analyst, global automotive practice for strategy analytics, formerly news editor of Motor Trend, possibly our most prolific contributor on the walk car. And I am Philip Royal. Uh, we are two of the founding editors of the walk car. Uh, I am the editor of Sports Car Magazine, which is the publication for the Sports Car Club of America. And then I also do work on Racer.com. And before all that, I worked on Eurotuner, the now defunct Eurotuner, uh, along with periodically stuff for Super Street Magazine. And I believe I have my byline appear one time in Sport Compact Car, the now defunct Sport Compact Car. It seems most of my past is now defunct, as is the case with much print media. So I don't think we have a name for the podcast. I don't think we have anything other than it's the Walk Car Podcast. The idea is we go through some of the news. So let's uh, dive in. So th- the first thing that we had on our plate was an article that appeared on CNBC. At least that was where I saw it. And it was the CEO of uh, Ford, Jim Farley, saying Ford is not going to, as he says, we're not going to seed the future anymore. Ford has announced a day earlier than when this was earlier in the week that it's boosting its EV investment of $22 billion through 2025. This didn't include vertical integration, which would hopefully somewhat limit the chip shortage that manufacturers are feeling right now. This is something uh, we cover at my company quite a bit, and uh, it's kind of easier said than done. I don't see Ford or anyone else bringing their chip manufacturing in-house. It's just not going to happen. They're going to be reliant on suppliers and vendors, even Tesla. They, you know, they have their full self-drive chip um, that they designed, but it's actually manufactured by Samsung. And most of the other chip manufacturers, the dirty little secret, not, not, not so secret to those in the industry, but they're, they're basically made by Taiwan Semiconductor, who actually physically makes the chips. So it's one thing for him to say that, but we'll see. And same thing with batteries, I'd say, is um, even Tesla has a partnership with Panasonic, even though they keep saying, oh, we're going to bring it all in-house. Now, the Gigafactory in Nevada is a partnership between Tesla and Panasonic. But, you know, as much, I think as much as these legacy OEs want to bring everything in-house, it's not something you can just flip a switch and do overnight. So... You know, I, I definitely respect their uh, commitment and their stated uh, investment in EVs, but I think they're kind of in the same position as pretty much everyone else in the market of making these lofty promises. Now they got to follow through. So what do you think of uh, Ford versus GM? Ford has been kind of somewhat taken a back seat when you compare the um where GM has been jumping in with Mary Barra saying, basically, we're, we're all in everything, you know, everybody in the EVs, they've got their, their Ultium platform. They're, they're 
having partnerships with, I think, Honda and uh, some other manufacturers all using their Ultium uh, yeah. technology. Ford, meanwhile, has their Mustang and they've got their forthcoming EV truck, uh, F-150 and their uh, delivery van. And they don't seem to be doing quite the... Um, they're not quite as all in as GM seems to be. Okay, so so here's here's what's interesting about that is if if you add up all the the billions and billions both GM and Ford have put forth, if you total up all of Ford's stated committed investment to EVs, it's actually like one or two billion more than GM's total. Interesting. And I'm sure I'm sure that was quite deliberate. Um, <laughs> so I think the difference is um, Ford as far as we know, I'm sure they have more coming out in the future, but as of right now that we know of, they have two major EV platforms that they're going to focus on. First being the Mustang Mach-E and the second being the F-150. They are bringing an electrified transit out, but that's kind of an adaptation of the current chassis. It's not a, it's not a bespoke dedicated EV platform. The thing is with both of those, they're both expected to be pretty high volume models, especially the F-150, um, I mean, it already is, is the, the internal combustion model. Um, if you look at GM's approach, they're starting off, and some would say, oh, it's kind of similar to what Tesla didn't. I guess in a sense it is, is the Hummer EV, the Cadillac Lyric, they're starting off with relatively low volume kind of niche models, and they're gradually going to kind of spread out the EV love throughout their lineup. Whereas Ford's doubling down right from the get-go on two high-volume models. So even though if you're going on a model-by-model model basis, you'd say, oh, wow, you know, GM's so far ahead. They're doing all this stuff. From a total volume standpoint, I think the gap might not be quite as big as a lot of people are making it out to be. Yeah, it sure, um, seems, it sure seems big uh, on the outset. But I also look at things where GM's doing other partnerships, making vehicles... Uh, or at least offering to make vehicles for other companies, whether it's like Bright Drop, where they're creating the company themselves or helping other companies. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Honda, wasn't it? That um, that they're going to be building off the LTM platform, at least I imagine until Honda can get its feet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, and I don't see that with Honda. Ford. You know, I'd... Well, let's, let's, let's think about this a little bit. Um, Ford was an early investor in Rivian along with Amazon. Um, now, the, the exact details of the Ford Rivian partnership are a little vague. Um, at one point, there were rumors that Lincoln was going to offer an EV SUV designing collaboration with Rivian. Those rumors have kind of evaporated. So, you know, I don't know what the current status is with that. But I would imagine as part of their uh, backing of Rivian that they would be privy to some of their uh, design and engineering resources. And Rivian reportedly is about to um, about to do an IPO. Not yeah, a spec, I should note, because that's the other hot hot thing in the market <laughs> right now. But because they got a lot of early funding, they're not as I hate to use this word, but they're not as desperate for money as some of these other startups are. So they'd rather well, the, kind of the yeah. influx of cash from Amazon. I'm sure didn't didn't hurt. Moving on, you mentioned Tesla. They're kind of experiencing a recall that I can't quite determine whether it's a recall or whether it's not a recall. Uh, they've got their MCU 
with their EMMC, which I am completely not in full understanding of what is what, other than it's got something to do with flash memory. And uh, Tesla's been wearing out their flash memory in their, their early model S's. Uh, and was it the X as well? And they've been basically the wearing S out. So yeah, they've been wearing out the, the memory, which is cheap RAM that they threw in the cars, uh, wearing that out with over the air updates. And now NHTSA says, you, you can't be charging people to replace this because when these wear out, uh, people can no longer use their indicators, rear view camera, and then I think defroster and um, yeah. and your HVAC controls stop working. Yeah. Center stack and, and Tesla, in a very entertaining uh, retort to that, says, but these aren't necessary for a car. Because uh, <laughs> people don't, so, I guess people don't indicate the drive a Tesla. Is that what Tesla's saying? Yeah, I, th I thought that was the knock against uh, BMW drivers traditionally. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> it it seems like the the you're you're admitting that your drivers don't look behind them when they reverse and that they don't indicate when yeah. they change lanes. Uh, to me, this whole thing seemed fairly bogus on Tesla's part that they they designed something poorly and then they said, but it's supposed to wear out and. It, just because you knew that it was going to wear out doesn't mean that it's not a safety issue that comes up later down the road. Tell me yes. I'm wrong. So you're, you're not wrong. So the backstory on this is they made an early design decision with the Model S and the Model X. Um, they, they essentially sacrificed durability for performance. So I guess the way this works is what they could have done and what some kind of enterprising kind of I don't know if you want to call them hackers, but we'll say independent technicians that have kind of designed a workaround for this is to offload more of the, the memory to flash memory that basically kind of, kind of essentially flushes itself out over time. So the way they designed it is these, these logs just pile up and pile up and pile up to the point where it, it basically exhausts the, the rewrite cycles that the memory was designed to handle. And that's what essentially bricks the system. But they kind of, <clears throat> at the time they were like, well, you know, we know this could be an issue, but it's a trade-off we're willing to accept because they wanted to make the display snappy and responsive and, you know, cool whiz bang, you know, point your finger at it and things work really nice. You know, knowing that down the road, you know, it, it, they're basically, you know, $2,000 of, of, you know, frozen electronics in your dash. Um, so yeah, I, I, I actually um, side with NITS in this. I, I mean, I'm a Tesla owner. I'm sitting in my Model 3 right now. <clears throat> so, you know, I'm, I'm generally a fan of Tesla, but yeah, they, they kind of, um, they, they kind of take, took the lazy way with this. And I'm, I'm kind of glad uh, this is holding them to account because this is, this is something they should take care of. So now in the last week, I'm confused by this story because the first stories I saw said, and we ran this um, last week, I think, on um, the What Happened, uh, our, our weekly review uh, post on the walkcar.com uh, that, that NHTSA had said, we're doing a recall. And then it seems like Tesla's fighting it after the fact. I don't understand how NHTSA recalls work. I thought that when they said, when they put on their website that, that here's the recall and this is what's going to happen that it was a, a closed that NHTSA had decided and then then Tesla is um 
on the hook for it. I don't, I don't know if you have any better understanding of this because it seems unclear to me as to whether or not it's actually been recalled. So the way it typically works is, and keep in mind, Tesla is not a typical automaker on a number of levels, but with normal car makers, uh, NHTSA and the automakers communicate directly and basically come to agreement behind closed doors and then usually issue a joint statement saying, these models are affected, you know, bring them in, we'll repair them. Uh, from all outside appearances, it seems like NHTSA has basically told Tesla, you need to fix this. And like you said, after the fact, they're kind of disputing it and nitpicking it, which doesn't, isn't great optics for Tesla, in my opinion. Um, I think they should just suck it up and take care of it. Oh. But um, Yeah, especially with... Uh with all these other manufacturers coming out with EVs uh, eminently, it's like you don't want to give people excuses to go and buy other cars. But that transfers into the next story, which is how can you buy a Tesla? And apparently you can slap down some Bitcoin, which is just, I, I whenever I hear a Bitcoin, uh, you think of uh, blockchain being overused. And then you think of the story back in the day of uh, the dude buying a pizza with uh, his Bitcoin and he spent like three Bitcoin on a pizza or whatever it was, because uh, Pizza Hut or like, whatever. Uh, like oh, it, it turned into something like, yeah, today. within the year, it was something like a $50,000 yeah. pizza. It was, it was a prime example of why you never, you never pay anything with a Bitcoin. The, uh, the flip side to it is I saw some other post from a freelance contributor who was saying, I'm never going to turn down payment in Bitcoin again. In fact, that was on Twitter, and I believe Elon Musk replied saying, me neither, and that was when this whole thing came up. Uh, is this just a, a whim of Elon Musk? Do you think this is like a Tesla corporate uh, idea that they've come up with? And uh, I, th I think Musk has always kind of been an enigma and always kind of done his own thing. I mean... And I guess, depending on the day of the week, you're either the richest or second richest person in the world. You can kind of do whatever the heck you want. And, <laughs> you know, he just kind of threw it out there. Like, oh, sure. What the heck? Bitcoin. How they're going to practically implement this uh, may be tricky, at least from an accounting standpoint, unless they do like a dual ledger Bitcoin and dollar. They're not only accepting payment in Bitcoin, but they're buying one and a half billion dollars in Bitcoin as part of an investment of the company. Um, Tesla's not your average company and Musk isn't your average CEO. That's no. for sure. So, so, so Tesla does do self-driving. That's been a lot of what's been in the news. Uh, not, to, not to talk all about Tesla. We will actually stop talking about Tesla fairly soon. And then I believe start talking about Tesla again later on in the program. Because yep. uh, you just can't talk EVs without, without Tesla. But Tesla's been doing a lot of self-driving, be it good or bad, depending on who you believe and what reports you believe. It's either going to kill you or it's going to be the, the lifesaver of mankind. There's a company out in the east, uh, Argo AI, that's doing self-driving now in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's somewhere. the kind of home yeah. base, yeah. So I am mixed on, I don't, I don't really know enough about Argo AI and, and uh, Tesla's self-driving. I uh, have not experienced any self-driving on my own. It seems neat in concept, but to me, it seems like everybody's trying to get these cars to do self-driving when the reality is the first thing that's probably going to happen is public transit. 
that it would be far easier to have a bus, essentially turn a bus into a railway car. The bus does a certain path through the city. Doesn't it seem like cars are getting a little bit of the car ahead of the horse that people should yeah, become so, more concentrated on public transit and solutions there with self-driving rather than get that right and then get the individual well, cars. This, this gets back, I'd say the, for me at least, um, the, the peak hype cycle with autonomous vehicles was kind of 2018 was when it was just, you know, kind of, I'd almost liken it to kind of like the dot-com craze almost. And then since then, it's kind of scaled back a little bit. Well, you're going to see, and you're already seeing in some cases, like for instance, with Waymo in Arizona, uh, you're seeing some local kind of regional geofenced kind of ride sharing, ride hailing services. Um, I think you're going to probably see commercial deployment um, before you see widespread, you know, consumer deployment of truly autonomous vehicles. Um, you're already seeing um, kind of level two plus uh essentially enhanced cruise control features like Tesla, Tesla autopilot, like GM super cruise. Um, which, almost, which many say is far superior to Tesla's. Uh, well, now granted super cruise only works in, in basically geo fenced areas. Um, well, it, it works on, on, pre, on pre driven roads. Yes. So the way GM approaches it is they will actually map a, a stretch of road in one of their cars and once they've kind of validated that route they'll feed it into their system their super cruise system and it will be a recognized road that you know they feel confident you know letting the system work on i want to i mean the, the number's changing every day but i think last i saw it was like two hundred thousand miles of road hmm. whereas tesla's collective like hive mind of of roads is like millions and millions of miles. <clears throat> but, you know, and again, I say this is a general fan of Tesla. They're a little more fast and loose with kind of how they approach things. They're, they're very, they have a very Silicon Valley mentality kind of about fail fast. Let's experiment. Let's try stuff out. If it doesn't work. Move on. We'll argue with NHTSA later. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, GM is much more methodical and, and kind of risk averse. So they really, really want to make sure it works before they roll it out. That's kind of the approach they've taken with Super Cruise. Um, and it is truly a hands-off system. I think that's another thing. Um, uh, Tesla's autopilot is, I mean, it says as soon as you engage it, it says, keep a hand on the wheel. Um, well, all, those, all the YouTubers have to buy yeah. those fake hands that hold on to the steering wheel. So well, they can go and I, sleep in the trunk. Another owner of mine said uh, <laughs> the other thing is uh, gym weight, like a wrist wrist weight. Oh. If you put that on the wheel, it'll at least the earlier models, it'll fake it out. and All the life hacks. You a, if, yeah. if you're going to be a YouTube influencer, these are what you need. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, it's we're I would say we're probably about a decade out from truly like no pedals, no wheels, consumer grade cars. Um, Do you think buses will come sooner maybe because uh, I, I foresee i foresee trucks as trucks electrify the big you know the big class eight trucks 
that those will go more to like a super cruise kind of system into into geofenced highways that have been proven and then yeah. they're still using the the driver to actually navigate and take out light poles as they round corners in neighborhoods <laughs> manually so i i think you're right i think you're going to see it uh with with class eight trucks um which really scares a lot of people because you're talking you know 40 to eighty thousand pounds barreling down the road at it worked on the simpsons homer like, simpson when he was a truck driver it all worked but, um, so but the thing is is there's a real economic incentive for the trucking companies to adopt this because number one in the class eight segment you have a severe driver shortage um and when you can hire drivers they're demanding higher and higher wages because they know they're in demand so what the the proof of concept that's been shown by like volvo daimler Freightliner, all those guys, is a lead truck with a human, I guess, kind of chaperone, for lack of a better term, and basically drone convoy trucks behind it that, that kind of follow the leader, so to speak. Hmm. Um, and at least in the early stages, I think all of them are probably going to have a human in them. I think longer term, what they're talking about is a lead truck with a human chaperone or or, or kind of supervisor and just drone unmanned drone trucks behind it um they, that's claiming, not scary at all <laughs> well <laughs> i mean they they claim they think it's pretty safe they think it's you know could be implemented at a pretty broad scale i mean we'll see i i just you know i hate to say it but i i just can see the first headline of of a massive like Oh. fatality pile up involving autonomous truck and then yeah when you've got a million pounds. investigations and and just lawsuits and a, you know a million pound train essentially <laughs> barreling down the freeway at 55 60 miles an hour you know what what could possibly go wrong yeah so uh, who it's knows, scary but it's scary yeah. and, it's, and I, I mean in time you know i think the technology will mature where people really don't think twice about it it's just kind of second nature but we're we're quite a ways off from that. I yeah, think. yeah. But where we are now is with the uh, the potential of fun with a lot of uh, EVs. And you'd actually yeah. forwarded this article to me uh, with uh, the C two Corvette uh, possibly going EV, uh, which sounds pretty cool. And in in this story on Autoblog that you sent me. Uh, this shows how little I know. I did not realize that Peter Brock was the was the designer behind the C2 Corvette, which is, I think, as we we talked, I think it's both of our one of our favorite Corvettes. Um, yeah, I think I, it's really cool. I mean, electric electric resto mods aren't necessarily a brand new thing. I mean, still that whole market is still kind of in its infancy. But what I think is especially cool is that Peter Brock, who was involved with the original design of the C2 is actually involved in this project as well. Yeah. And this was AVA, AVA Stingray. Now, um, Mm -hmm. uh, AVA is the name of the company. I got to say, I haven't heard of them, but there's a lot of things I haven't heard of. Um, And in their video uh, where they talk to Peter Brock, they don't really give any specifics about this (laughs) other than what could we have done uh, back in the sixties to design the C2, you know, this, this is like the next iteration and that's what they're trying to, to build off of. Do you, do you think that they're going to try and stuff batteries and motors and inverters into 
an existing C2 chassis. I can't, I, I imagine it's going to be all fresh stuff because the cars would be too expensive to buy. And are there even enough of them on the road to create a market of this? I would have thought these are all, are they kit cars? Did I miss something? Uh, I'm kind of like you. I, I don't have a ton of detail on this. What it seems like it's kind of emerging as kind of, I think the way things will go with the resto mods is there's going to be a dedicated kind of EV chassis that they're going to put the, you know, the, the classic body on top of. Um, so I, I'd imagine that's probably the approach they're probably going to take with this. Um, it is, I mean, it is possible to take an existing chassis and kind of hack it up and modify it for an EV powertrain, but I think it would be a lot more optimized if just the whole, you basically take what they kind of call in the industry, the skateboard platform and just drop the body on it. Um, there's actually a company in Hawthorne, I'm trying to remember the name off the top of their head, but their, their whole concept is they're working on kind of this modular uh, resto mod EV chassis that can be kind of tailored to, for different wheelbases, different widths. And you, you, like, like I said, you basically just take the old classic body, drop it on top of this new chassis. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, who knows? I mean, once, once like Kendig and Foose and all those guys, I mean, I'm sure everyone's kind of going to have their own approach to doing this. Um, well, and there's a, there's even a company that uh, I just recently came across and much like with you, I, I can't remember the name of it, uh, but they're taking uh, battery packs. They're uh, maybe this is a common thing. They're soaking them in a liquid to control the temperatures uh, and more disperse the temperatures of, of the battery pack so you don't get into overheating issues. And their first market, when you look at their their scale, their uh, timeline of what they're looking to do, streetcars are on there, but it's second. First is racing. And that they want to get into what seemed like uh, almost the, the custom uh, racing applications, like club racing level stuff. Um, so it seems like we're going to see a whole market of this, a whole aftermarket oh, yeah. setup of uh, beyond the GM crate motors that we're going to see things like this with the, the AVA Stingray um, doing essentially the next generation of kit cars in addition to people building and converting existing race cars with these other technologies the, and going electrified because we're yeah. honestly going to have to in the next 15 years. Well, I, I think there, there's really no better place to kind of torture test technologies than the racetrack. And um, I remember, uh, I don't know if you're put this in the show notes or whatever, but a while back you did a post on Lucid who before they were known as Lucid, um, I think it was Ativa or something, mm -hmm. but they were doing, they, they were doing a lot of kind of R and D and, and, and testing on the racetrack. Yeah. And really kind of torture test their technologies and, it, and make sure it could really stand up to it, that. It was an open secret, uh, that, uh, that, lucid's whatever battery technology was being used in formula e mm -hmm. uh so while they lucid kind of stayed private a lot on on any of their information that they were giving they they actually had years of racing experience mm -hmm. with smaller battery packs but mm -hmm. uh it was i believe um mclaren was the one getting the credit but mclaren was simply using batteries that was coming from another company that was lucid so yeah. multiple multiple iterations to get there, but by the time they come out with the Lucid Air, uh, at least the unveiling, because they have yet to come out with it, even though the the president of Lucid is now saying they're ahead of Tesla, 
which maybe he, he used to work for Tesla. So <laughs> yes, maybe in I technology, there had to be a kind of a Twitter pissing match between. Yeah, them. yeah. So anyway, uh, one of the interesting stories that that I, I put in the rundown today that was I don't really know if we got much to say about it, but it was pretty cool. I don't know if you saw the video. Electric had. Uh, had this footage of, I think it did the rounds in other places, uh, of it looks like a, a unloading, a loading docker where they're, all the Teslas are coming in and they're being parked in a giant parking lot. And then they did a over-the-air update. And then all the cars start flashing. It's like Christmas time uh, yeah. as all the cars do these, uh, as they do the over-the-air updates. And over-the-air updates, they're kind of cool, but that's that's needed i guess uh to do that last second update but can can you kind of educate me on why all of a sudden does everybody it's like it's like going back to bitcoin with blockchain and that was the hot word yeah. it's like now as soon as we go ev what is the deal with over the air updates why do these cars need them do you just need the latest fart app on your model 3 <laughs> or is there an actual i know they're doing they're doing a lot of battery uh, efficiency, but is that because essentially we're all beta testing uh, these these EVs? And well, so I think um, if you're a Tesla owner, you are a beta tester, whether you realize it or not. That's just kind of the company's Part and parcel. Yeah, I just hate to say it. Um, no, there's not. It's it may seem to the outside observer kind of frivolous and just kind of tech for tech's sake, but kind of the driving force between OTI updates for most OEMs is uh, is cost savings um, because as cars are getting more and more electronic and electric and less mechanical um, more issues on cars can be fixed through software as opposed to having to physically replace or repair a part um, you ba basically just kind of blast a software packet out to the vehicle that will kind of self-diagnose and self-repair, you know, whatever a particular issue might be. So do you see GM, Ford, and them not doing over-the-air updates as much as, say, a Tesla or a Lucid or a Rivian because they've got dealers to protect? Or do you think uh, the dealership model just simply has to change? I think uh, Jag was changing there, is changing the fundamental aspect of what a dealership is and trying to make it a location that you want to go to for however much that's going to work. Uh, yeah. So this, this is kind of a tricky subject because um, like it or not, the legacy automakers are kind of tied to their dealerships. Um, and because they have this decades long relationship between franchise dealers, OEMs, they're, they're kind of locked into this relationship and frankly, I think one of the reasons, uh, you know, GM, Ford, whoever, weren't pushing this more aggressively in the earlier days was because of blowback from the dealerships saying, uh, you, you know, you're cutting us out of the loop on revenue, you know, uh, because the way it works is with traditional dealers, they bill the OEMs for warranty work. So basically, if a customer were to bring their car in under warranty to a dealership, the dealer would repair it. It's free to the customer so long as the vehicle is under warranty, but Ford or GM or whoever gets billed for that work by the dealership. So 
yeah. I mean, warranty repair is a big source of revenue for the dealers. Um, and, you know, naturally you can't fix everything over the air. I mean, if there's a physical defect or a, a mechanical say, issue, say it. you flash still have memory. to bring it in. Say flash memory <laughs> that, <laughs> that is overriding uh, itself. As, as one example. But, yeah, uh, per se. I mean, you still have to, have to bring it in. But a lot of, a lot of issues anymore, like I said, if you can get the software loaded to the vehicle, it'll, it'll kind of go out there, you know, seek out, you know, that you know, little chunk of bad code or whatever, correct it. Boom, done. Yeah. And really overnight while the customers are sleeping, never have to go to a dealer. It's done. Um, so I think. So dealers, I mean, the dealers like dead. to think they have. They're, like they're dead at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the dealers like to think they're all, they have ultimate control over stuff. They do, on a regional basis, they do have a lot of influence, but I think this is something where it's become the, the, I think the use case and the economics of it have become so compelling. The OEMs are like, we're doing this whether you like it or not. You know, we're, this is where we're going. Now, Tesla is a lot more aggressive uh, with these than, uh, I mean, I'd say on average, they probably, push one out every two to three weeks um whereas the oems that are currently doing it and there are only a few that are really doing it um it's like two to three a year so i mean tesla is kind of another level in terms of the frequency of how often they're pushing these out but a a company that's not doing it at all uh, as far as i'm aware is uh toyota with the prius uh i don't know if they've ever been doing a a uh over-the-air update but as you point out in an article that uh printed on that we published on the whatcar.com uh there's a lot of people that don't like the evs and it's all because of the prius uh yeah so i think and i've got my own experience with the prius uh (laughs) it's it was the first car that made me realize that while i'm a car guy i as technology progresses hybrid guy no I, I rented a Prius from, I flew into uh, Monterey. I was going to Laguna Seca and uh, got off the airplane, went to the rental car agency, sat in the Prius because that was, you know, it's Bay Area. <laughs> You're going to rent a, a Prius for for your economy car. Uh, closed the door, couldn't get the thing to move. No idea. This is, of course, this is like a year after they came out. I had no idea how to get that thing to move. And after a couple minutes, I had to go back inside and ask, how do you put this? How do you start the car? How do you get it to move? And the guy had to come out and show me. And and it was very embarrassing, but a, a learning experience. And that was my first experience. And it was uh, somewhat comical and somewhat bad. I also later nearly ran into somebody because they walked right in front of the car as the car as I was creeping forward and the engine's off. And they're, this is pre them emitting sounds when you're going at two miles yeah. an hour. And I, a security guard walked right in front of me. Uh, so those are my first experiences. Uh, your contention is that it's those people then are not differentiating the Prius, which accelerates zero to 60 in three and a half weeks to a modern uh where you're in your model three right now recording this and what the acceleration on that's mid five seconds zero to 60 faster than almost any other mid-size average family sedan that anybody's ever owned Um, and scary because it's it's, yeah um i think yeah i think what you're seeing among a lot of people that haven't had a direct experience with a true battery electric modern BEV 
is they either owned or had a friend that owned or had some experience in their past with the Prius as kind of weird looking, slow, you know, have like these, you know, politically liberal bumper stickers on them. I mean, I don't, who knows, you know, <laughs> some sort of negative experience with them and somehow they conflate that toward, you know, Tesla's bolts, whatever. And they're like, ah, well, you know, the Prius sucked and, you know, you know, all, all these do-gooders are trying to force us into EVs and, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, they're going to drag me kicking and screaming. And I'm like, look, a, a do you think hybrid? Do, yeah, go ahead. Do you, do you think the Prius represents the tree hugging hippie traditional um, flower child almost of the, of the two thousands um, versus the modern EV, which is cool. Um, at least as far as, Teslas go, they're they're cool looking vehicles. Uh, you can like them or not like them, but they they don't look like a Prius. A Prius looks like a an economy car that's kind of shaped weird, and um, you know it's it's not even the cheapest Tesla looks good. Uh, yeah. The the Prius looks like an economy car, and you get inside uh, when I I had a press vehicle when the Prius C came out, and that was awful. There was yeah. no sound deadening in it. It it followed every little rail on the road. It it I couldn't get out of that car fast enough. The it's only essentially thing, a hybrid Yaris is what it is, but yeah, Prius C, yeah. It, it it wasn't as good as Prius. Uh, it had the Prius name, and that was it. And I just I didn't I I guess what I'm well, discovering is I didn't have any good. I've not had any good experiences in a Prius. Yeah, so, so I get I your mean, point. No, the, the point <laughs> I'm making is if if your context for EVs is a Prius, which which I make in that post, I said is, is a false equivalency because they're, they're completely different animals. I'm like, if you want to have an informed opinion of a modern EV, go test drive a Tesla, test drive a Bolt, you know, when they become available, drive a Volkswagen ID4 and have that be your basis of opinion. And you and I have probably both met a lot of people. You, you may feel this way yourself. Yes, the acceleration of EVs is impressive. The immediate torque—they're they're smooth, they're quiet. A lot of people just prefer the character of an internal combustion engine. They're they're more unique. They have you know the the sound quality and and just the 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 power delivery. It's, it gives each car a very unique kind of personality. Whereas EVs, they're all kind of the same. Whether you're talking Tesla or Bolt or whatever, it's just a lot of torque available all the time super quiet. I mean, my wife calls my car a roller coaster ride, you know, just, just that, you know, some people like, some people don't, some people say, oh, it's kind of boring, you know, half of yeah, that though get... is the way you drive. <laughs> well, <laughs> you were particular, <laughs> but um, anyway, I, I, to, to kind of, to kind of bring a full circle here, all I would say is if you're, you have a negative perception of EVs based on the Prius, just do yourself a favor, drive a Tesla, drive a Bolt, and I think it'll change your mind. Now, whether it makes you love EVs, you may still not. But don't don't base your opinion of EVs on your experience with the Prius. So what you uh, could also drive maybe in a couple of years to potentially change your opinion on EVs is the Jeep Wrangler EV, which has been announced. Uh, the Jeep has announced is that it's going to announce... <laughs> 
yeah. it's it's pre-announcement announcement uh that they're gonna uh debut it as part of the easter jeep safari uh this came out what two days ago that this hit the news uh so yeah. basically no details are known this is kind of the next step in jeep technology certainly getting away from uh, if people think of prius as as an ev even though it's not an ev uh there's nothing more anti-Prius than, well, the the VVs that are going to be coming out between the uh, Hummer and a Jeep Wrangler. Uh, the representation of gas guzzling, uh, yeah. road dominance, uh, that, that they, these are now hitting the road or will yeah. be hitting the road. I mean, we have yet to see any so, of these, I believe, hit yeah, the road. So I think, um, I think I'd like to touch on something here is um, I think if you're looking at two vehicles in particular that i think have the potential to really radically change people's mentality about evs it would be the ford f-150 and the other is the jeep wrangler because if you think about it at least in my mind and you know not to be sexist about this but those are the two kind of alpha male vehicles you know on the road is if you got a wrangler you got an f-150 no you're you're a macho dude right so or at it, least you want to be. Yeah. So if, that's your yeah, aspiration. <laughs> exactly. They're kind of yeah. aspirational. They're, they're, they're kind of about the image, you know? Yeah. So if, if Jeep and Ford can launch these and they got, they got lots of power, they're, they're fun to drive. They're reliable, a decent range. I think that could really change a lot of minds about EVs as being, you know, I've used this term a million times. If you read the walk car, glorified golf carts and I, I know it's kind of beating a dead horse but a lot of people's perception are still glorified golf carts but if you have an f-150 that'll smoke you know any other you know internal combustion truck and you have a wrangler ev which you know they haven't announced specs on it but let's say presumably it'll run neck and neck with the uh the rubicon 392 you're like, you'll have a lot of guys like, wow, you know, this thing's really fast and it just, you know, climbs up trails like nobody's business. Well, that, that was so. the interesting thing is the, the, um, the, 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 the blow through that Jeep released seems to imply that it's going to be a single engine, uh, at least from what I could see, a single engine center mounted somewhere in the chassis running off of a uh, running to a transmission or a transfer case, if That's you will. Uh, that then transfers the, the power out to all four wheels. And you'd assume it could be then you could have a crawling ratio. I mean, this this really mm -hmm. is rethinking uh, yeah. the way that EVs are. They always say, oh, there's so much torque, there's so much torque. But now multiply that down with uh, gear ratios that you normally use for rock crawling. And, that and you'll have like, even more torque. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like yeah. all those numbers where people do the, the multiplication and like the GM did, when they released the Hummer and they said it's got 11,000 pound feet of torque. Well, that was a multiplication uh, yeah. trick of math. It seems like if you want to do that same trick of math, that the Jeep might be able to say that they've got 50,000 pound feet of torque yeah. by the time you, you run this thing through a low range transfer case. Oh yeah. I, I think it's in terms of, 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 uh, you know, off-road ability, it's going to be tremendous. Yeah. And, I think um, a bizarrely Jeep could be one of the companies that takes the next step in EV technology. Uh, yeah, with, I mean, they already kind of are. Um, 
they already have a plug-in hybrid Wrangler, uh, which I, I haven't personally driven one, but the specs they've. I don't even four, know if it's out yet. Is it the the four XE? Uh, yeah, the, the long the lead four, is four, in four by E. Is what is that what they call they it? The four by e? it oh. but, <laughs> wow. Um, uh, the, you the, know, the specs they've impressed, uh, they've uh, announced for it are pretty impressive. Um, zero to 60, about six flat and uh, 50 MPG E, which that's probably a whole separate subject. Oh, I, I didn't include but, that on the rundown because we know that I have a a whole uh, distaste for MPG E and what it what it means. And we'll eventually hit a news story one week where, where I can yeah. go off on that. But but anyway, I mean, um what's interesting is is with the whole Stellantis that you know basically Peugeot Citron and Fiat kind of either combining forces merging take over I mean it's a snake know, eating its that, tail that, that kind of it's, it's a never-ending it's an infinity loop yeah there's too many companies merging with Daimler, Chrysler merger of equals I'm not going to yeah. get into that long story short though is I think um, PSA was a lot more progressive in terms of electrification than FCA was, even though a lot of the development for the rank, the four by E models happened under FCA separate from PSA and Stellantis. I think Stellantis is really encouraging kind of stepping on the accelerator, so to speak on electrification it says, Hey guys, you know, now that we have all these resources, let's kind of step it up with this. Um, so I think that's why you're seeing Jeep really kind of, kind of, give more of an earnest effort uh with electrification and hopefully we'll get to experience that a little bit more i'm uh, supposedly on the the uh somewhere on the list for media vehicles to to test the wrangler 4xe 4xe uh when that comes out they're doing the i don't know somewhere around now or shortly thereafter now is the the media launch and then after that i'm supposed to be getting one of those so we can give that a shout and see, you know, yeah, what, it's, it's how far will times. that go? And yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I've got all these plans to pack the kids up into it and go off roading and hit the trails. Yeah, hit the trails in this thing, and you know, see what it's like. They certainly, when I've had other electric cars, when I had the Nero EV, the kids loved that. Uh, it was just bizarre to them that you could go without making noise, which was neat. Uh, tell you one of the cars that I really want to get on the list to drive is the the new if it well when it comes out the new 2022 audi e-tron gt which just seems awesome to me yeah, it it's just pretty nice seems, pretty sweet looking car it's basically a porsche taycan uh but cool looking uh <laughs> i mean i like the porsche but it looks squashed it looks yeah. a little too flat on the ends this thing has got uh, it's it the underpinnings are as far as I can tell, um, you know, it's it's as solid as a Porsche. It, it's going to accelerate um, just as fast as far as anybody else uh, cares. It's uh, the, they're claiming. I think Motor Trend was estimating because uh, they've only got WLTP um, numbers that I think mm -hmm. Audi was giving out, but uh, Motor Trend estimated, or maybe Audi did the estimation for them that it's about 238 miles on the the base. Uh, e-tron gt quattro and then 232 miles on the rs which is the big power uh they're going to have 469 horse and 464 pound feet of torque on the on the quattro the base model and then the rs is 589 horse and 612 pound feet of torque and then there's a 
two and a half second bump of power, which I'm confused about because they ran acceleration numbers that I'm seeing two different sets of acceleration numbers. So I don't know if that two and a half second bump only works with launch, if that's a launch control or if that can be, is that a push to pass uh, like race cars? I, I don't know. I didn't dive deep enough in, maybe you know, uh, but zero to 60, basically sub three seconds on either car getting close to uh, low three seconds for the RS. It's going to cost about a hundred grand for the base model. Uh, 107,000, I think, for the Prestige, the middle model, and then the RS is, starts at 140,000. That doesn't include destination charge and all the other features. Basically, a really expensive Porsche, way more expensive than a Plaid S, Plaid uh, Model S, Plaid Plus. Um, if you I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think, um, you know, I don't know what kind of numbers they're talking about for this. I think this potentially could be the most direct threat to the Model S um, because I've, I've always, and some people say, well, that doesn't really make sense because they're, you know, one, one's traditionally combustion engine, one's electric, but I've always thought the Tesla and the Audi buyer were probably the most similar in a lot of ways. And that, you know, both companies kind of have this tech forward um, kind of, kind of vibe and mentality. Um, I, I'm trying to, I don't speak German, but Audi used to have um, the, this um, kind of motto. I think it's Vorsprung Doc Technik, or I, I don't know, whatever it is. Could be, could be. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> but it was basically, um, you know, better performance through technology was, was essentially their, their motto. And, you know, for a long time, it was Quattro, it was turbocharging, it was all this other stuff. But now that Audi's kind of really gotten into the EV game, I think potentially they could poach off some Model S customers uh, with this one. Um, so if there was a more base model e-tron GT that was about $45,000 when your Model 3 came up, when your, when your number came up in the Model 3 um, lotto and you got the honor of picking one up, uh, would you have considered going with an Audi or or is a Tesla a Tesla? Uh, you know, these, these are one of the things I didn't mention yeah. as well is that the, the e-tron is uh, built on the, the Taycan uh, platform means it's 800 volt. It's going to charge if you can get a charger that can do it. It's going to charge in theory faster, I believe, than a Tesla. Uh, so it's it's got a lot of advantages. It doesn't have the, the network that goes with it. The supercharger network is definitely the um, the the. the uh, the killer feature, as far as I can see, Teslas are nice, but the killer feature is a supercharger network. Uh, oh, for sure. And that's, I think if you, you know, one, one term we use in the analyst industry a lot is competitive moat. I don't know if you've heard that term, but. Sounds uh, wonderful. <laughs> uh, I think Tesla's big competitive moat is the supercharger network. Um, basically everybody else is playing catch up with that. Um, they're, they're way ahead on that. Um, but, um, I, don't I haven't I mean, heard, mm -hmm. I haven't heard whether or not the electrify America system is basically going to be, uh, outfitted now to take up, uh, the ability to charge these cars. Uh, I think go, the, I think going forward, they're going to, uh, accommodate up to 800, uh, 800 volts. Um, but it's, it's not going to be the entire network. Um, but moving forward as they deploy more, 
I, I think that's kind of the roadmap of what they're going to do. Um, they're going to have to. Yeah. I mean, in terms of if this were available um, for a similar prize as when I bought my Model 3, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't want to sandbag, you know, VW too much. I, I owned a Volkswagen product in the early 2000s and um, I didn't have the greatest experience with it from a quality standpoint. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to drag them through the mud too much because I know there have been a lot of Tesla owners that have had kind of a sub suboptimal quality experience. And I mean, I've been lucky so far. I haven't had any major issues with mine, you know, knock on wood, but uh, um, I don't know. I mean, at the time I bought it, a Tesla is a Tesla. I mean, really the only, you know, other than the, uh, the Nero, which, uh, you know, I posted about on the walk car um, from a price standpoint, the only direct competitors at the time were the Nero EV and the Chevy Bolt. And frankly, neither one of them had the style, the performance. They're just, they just really weren't in the same class on any level. So no, I'm, I'm, uh, as you call me a realist, uh, <laughs> politely uh, call me a realist. Uh, but when we drove the, the Nero and the, the Model 3 back to back, it was hands down everything about the model three was better just yeah. the, the way the throttle tips in the the feel of the controls the steering everything the seats it was all a more complete car and this yeah. is a car that people are saying you know or just tesla in general that they're still learning how to make cars and you look at the competition and in that case kia that knows how to make cars and the nero was for the same price was why would you get that unless you absolutely need the hatchback, there was yeah. no reason that you would drive. I don't see how anybody could have driven a Nero and a, and a Model 3 back to back and said, I want to get the Kia unless you simply don't believe that, say, Tesla is going to be around in the long run or, you know, because all you need is a bad, bad couple of years with Tesla yeah. and it can go under. Like, sure. Kia is not going to go under. No, um, Kia is, is a huge, you know, part of the huge Hyundai conglomerate, but and I, I, I just want to preface this by saying I don't think the Nero is a bad car per se, but for the price point relative to the Model 3, it just it's just not in the same class. Yeah, I enjoyed in driving of, it. Yeah. It was yeah. fine. Like you said, it was a fine car, but you jump straight into the Model 3 and you saw everything that the Nero was was missing in, in its um, yeah. it's bizarre to use this and it's fit and finish uh it, it yeah. was it, it, the model three just was a a more complete car a more sound well car. i think that's the difference and uh, you know a lot of my blog posts i've kind of alluded to this it's the difference between adapting an internal combustion or, or hybrid chassis versus starting clean sheet building an ev yeah. i think that's where the biggest difference is is the Nero was an adaptation of what used to be kind of a hybrid model. Um, so they kind of, kind of, I know it sounds kind of indelicate, but they kind of chopped up what they had and adapted it to an EV versus the Model 3 from day one, first, you know, virtual pen to paper, first CAD pixel was designed as an EV. And yeah. I think the next generation of, Hyundai and Kia EVs are going to be built on a dedicated chassis. And I think potentially you could see a big leap in terms of driving experience, uh, you know, integration, just kind of having the whole package together. 
versus what we experienced with the Nero. Yeah, I have high hopes because uh, yeah. I, I, I like Kia. I like Hyundai Group cars. It's they're all good. They're all great. Bang I mean, for the you buck. particularly like the Stinger, and you said, yeah, this this should be an EV. It would be a badass, you know, you know, performance sedan yeah. hatch. You know, whatever it is. And but. maybe I'll get my wish one day with this EGMP well, we'll see. platform. We'll <laughs> see. And it's got the 800 volt system, which is what I, I, yeah, it's what I love. But I tell you who do lo- does love all EVs is Norway. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, were these all Super Bowl ads? I don't, not watching the Super Bowl, uh, not being a <laughs> sports ball fanatic. Um, I don't know who hit more home runs uh, during the Super Bowl uh, this year, but <laughs> there were a series of ads. Some got released before the Super Bowl uh, with um, Will Ferrell. There's a name. And yeah. uh, I believe that was a Super Bowl ad released beforehand where he's talking about how Norway is ahead of America and that he's going to get all of his all of his friends together and they're going to go to Norway and he drives to the wrong town. And that was, I believe, uh, while everybody sees it as Will Ferrell, I believe that was uh, a GM ad since it was all, um, Hummer was in there and I can't remember the other vehicles that were in there, but it was all GM product uh, that everybody was getting together, going to go to Norway and tell them, you know, that America's cool too. Uh, the neat thing, though, is then Audi responded with an with an ad. Um, yeah, I saw that. That that was kind of fun. And then, of all companies, Circle K, also, I don't know if theirs was before or after, but they Circle K had a strange uh, commercial uh, where. Well, first of all, I never knew Circle K was that big in Norway. I, mean, no. I was like, who okay. did? There, there, <laughs> it's. They're not. That commercial showed a bunch of um, uh, of Circle K employees leaving the Circle K called for uh, called out for a company meeting uh, outside from the new boss, who turns out to be like uh, a Viking queen a or something. Viking queen. Or... Yeah, I don't. I don't completely understand. As she's making these <laughs> announcements uh, as as dominantly as she can, and next to her is the uh, mild mannered assistant who's. Um, just wants to give the information and not necessarily yell it from the rooftops. The announcement was not that there are charging stations at Circle K. It's that they're going to keep uh, Norway at the top, which Invader is later from the West. Or, yeah, you know, and it was, yeah. So, so I, I found it all fascinating, and it shows our bias. We don't keep track. We we always talk about how uh, Norway is is. Um, got better EV adoption and faster EV adoption. A lot of European countries, I think, are along those lines. We're pretty far down in the path, but we're fairly unaware of these things until somebody like Will Ferrell is involved in a video telling us how awesome this is. And the next thing you know, you've got Circle K that, like you said, who knew? I yeah. can't even tell you well, what just Circle like, K uh, is in America. Supposedly 7-Eleven is huge in Japan. Again, who knew? Who knew? Um, we should anyway, get out more uh, often. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Norway, I mean, I only know this because it's my job to, to kind of be nerdy about all these market trends and stuff, but yeah, Norway's um, in terms of the EV adoption, they're, they're kind of on the leaderboard. Um, you know, to be fair though, that's been driven by a lot of government incentives and, and perks. And I mean, EVs can drive in the bus lane in Norway, whereas other cars can't. Uh, there's a lot of sweeteners and, and, uh, incentives for people to buy evs there 
Whereas in the U.S., it's a little more kind of, it's not as consistent. It kind of varies state by state. And some some brands are eligible for a tax credit. Others aren't. So, And don't get me started on tax credits once I realize that they're not actual <laughs> tax credits. 7,500 bucks doesn't mean you get 7,500 bucks, but we'll we'll go into that later. People can. Yeah, that's, that. that's another episode. It's, it's a little more convoluted than it seems. Yeah. Uh, so there's been a lot of rumors too, uh, in the last week. I mean, all these stories, this, all these stories are in the last week. Uh, I know. I mean, we, we had to, uh, I can say, you know, as Phil, as Philip and I were kind of compiling, uh, this, this podcast, I mean, we just left a ton of stuff on the cutting room floor. I mean, we, we just had to go through and it's like, there's no way we can, we can get through all this, but, uh, yeah, I think this, this particular one is a fairly big story. So, yeah. So, well, uh, basically if you're, if you're talking about the Apple car, uh, yeah. is it, is it on, is it off? I mean, it's been project Titan for, um, what, six years, <laughs> at least five years, yeah. I think 2015 or something was when it poked its head up. Uh, and then nobody knew what was going on with it. And then all of a sudden Hyundai's like, oh, we're going to make the car. We're in talks with making the car. And then Apple shut them down and then Hyundai backpedals. And it's just been drama, drama, drama. And now I don't even know by the time we're recording this, it's probably changed again. Um, who's making the car? What do you think? I think Hyundai made a lot of sense, but as soon as I don't think Apple wanted anybody to know that they were going to be driving a Hyundai, (laughs) And so, so the, whole, the Apple rumor mill is like its own industry. I mean, if you go online, there, there are dozens of, of blogs that all they are is about Apple rumors, whether it's the iPhone, the Mac, uh, the Apple car now. Um, I, whether or not Hyundai or Kia are still involved, the, um, Apple's not going to tell you one way or the other where, whether they are or aren't. And Apple's well known for, for denying, denying, denying. And then like two weeks before they introduce a product. Oh, here it is. So, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think Kia, Hyundai or Kia is out of the running. I don't know if, I I don't think it's really definitive because, um, you know, Apple has always kind of had this plausible deniability like I said, until like literally weeks before they unveil a product. Um, so Hyundai Kia may definitely still be in the running. Personally, my my hunch for the leading contender um, for this is a name uh, probably a lot of people wouldn't even know. This company called Magna. Um, they so do a lot Magna, of boutique stuff, don't they? Well, here's here's what's interesting about Magna is they are a huge what what's known in the industry as a tier one supplier. So, if you're talking about transfer cases, axle shafts, um, power steering systems, just tons of like sub components on the vehicle, they make all of those, and they are also one of the world's leading contract manufacturers. So, they actually build the Mercedes G Wagon the Jaguar I-PACE, the, the new Toyota Supra, believe it or not, uh, and the BMW Z4 at their plant in Austria. So they're a contract manufacturer. So if OEMs are, if, if all their existing production facilities are kind of maxed out, but they want to come out with a new model, they'll come to Magna and say, hey, 
we want to build, you know, 20,000, 50,000 of these a year. Can you do it for us? They'll say, yeah. Um, and, and if you, if you think that was pretty amazing, cause the cars they build at their plant are all vastly different between the I-Pace and the Supra and the G-Wagon. I mean, they're vastly, vastly different cars yet. They all come out of this plant. So, um, well, in the way with Apple, Apple sells on image and perceived quality. Yeah. And whether or not the, the quality is there is up for debate. Uh, I've had many a MacBook Pro that <laughs> would, uh, would disagree with the quality statement, but they're selling an image. And yeah. the image, while I think uh, Genesis has a good image, it's still a discount brand. It's still not you're not buying a BMW seven series per se. Well, what, what's kind of ironic about that is from the reports I've read is there was more pushback from Kia in terms of the Apple car competing with Genesis than vice versa, which I found kind of strange, but they didn't, um, they don't want to turn into a, um, a uh, basically, basically another a, contract manufacturer. Yeah. And in the eyes of consumers kind of diminish or dilute the Genesis brand supposedly. The beauty with Magna is they are not a, what I call a consumer facing name. Like, you know, dealers and repair shops and stuff, they've probably heard of Magna. They're like, oh yeah, Magna components. But you mentioned the name Magna to the average person. They're like, who, what? You yeah, know? nobody knows. Nobody They don't knows. know. Yeah. So Magna doesn't have to be worried about brand dilution. And conversely, an Apple or a Mercedes or whoever else doesn't have to worry about Magna competing with their brand. So I, I personally think this is kind of the perfect marriage because Magna is a pure play contract manufacturer. They have extensive uh, manufacturing knowledge. They also can probably produce like 85 to 90% of the car themselves, literally from just, you know, the components they make. Um, the, the only unknown about this is the spare production capacity at the Austria plant and what Apple's expectations are for the overall volume. Um, so it, it, the other possibility is they could take over either an idled or an underutilized plant from, uh, I know GM has a couple of idle plants, um, you know, or some people say, oh, are they going to build a... I, I don't think it's probably going to be what they call a greenfield plant because that's at least two to three years. It's a lot of permits. It's a lot of red tape. It'd be a lot easier to take over an existing facility and use that as the manufacturing plant. But again, this is all purely speculative, but, and I could be totally wrong about this, but my bet is on Magna to be the manufacturer for the Apple car. Well, and, and to solve the manufacturing problem is Apple just takes its um, a couple billion out of its quarterly profits and oh, yeah. <laughs> slaps it down yeah, exactly. at a new factory. Like, okay, says, build it. Yeah, it sells magnets. Here, here's a, a giant sack of cash. Solve the problem. Yeah. Uh, I saw another report somewhere that was saying that um, Apple's first car might not even be a passenger car. So I, I don't even know if... I mean, the rumors are just, they're all rumors. So yeah. I don't even know if we're on the right trail. Who knows? <laughs> this could come out of yeah, nowhere. It's, and, it's, and it's Nicola for the win. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of doubt it. I, I don't know. I mean, some people have kind of thrown that out there. Like the whole Apple car thing is they're going to sell a platform, a system 
kind of like Google and Android has moved very aggressively into the automotive space. Some people think Apple's going to do the same, but I would say based on their history, Apple typically doesn't license. They like to own the whole stack. So my feeling is an Apple car will be an Apple car. Now, granted, it'll probably be contract manufactured, kind of like the iPhones manufactured by Foxconn. But my guess is they're either all in or they're all out. But again, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Regardless, it will probably cost more than the Tesla Model 2 that is rumored. Um, Most likely. Supposedly designed. Um, initially, they were saying it was going to be designed and built in China for the China market, I believe. Then it came out that it will be a either a European car. Um, I can't remember if that rumor came out before the next rumor, which was it's a world car. So we might get it in America. Once again, all rumors, nobody knows. Some of the pictures that I've seen on uh, uh, Clean Technica had a, a picture of the th- of what they thought it might look like, and nobody knows, but it could be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it basically looks or... like, um, the, the renderings I've seen, there was one that kind of looks like a Mazda 3 hatch, vaguely. Yeah. Another one that looks, I mean, I, I think the premise is it's going to be a VW Golf-sized probably a five-door hatch which is a super super popular body style in europe and and in china too um but one that americans by and large are kind of don't care um but i mean i mean i'll just speak for myself if if basically an electric gti were available from tesla or whoever else when i bought this i probably would have gotten that because i've i've had hatchbacks in the past they're super handy I personally like like the styling and the packaging of them. I personally would have preferred if, if this were a hatchback, which, you know, if I would have waited another 18 months, I could have gotten a Model Y, but, you know, is what it is. Yeah, but, um, the hatchback. Yeah, this could be a big game changer for Tesla in terms of, uh, you know, market share and affordability. Uh, this it, could be pretty big. Hands, if they could do, they, they everybody's throwing around the $25,000 number and nobody knows if that's correct and, um you know, it's just going to be cheaper. That's what we know. And I imagine yeah. even it's Tesla. They'll say it's $25,000 car. And if you want one, it's going to cost you $40,000 uh, yeah. for the first one. <laughs> well, if you want the dual and, motor performance. Blah, yeah, blah, blah, which will be the only yeah. one they'll offer for the first few years. And you know, yeah. that's the way it's going to go. And that seems to be the way that a lot of manufacturers are going. You want to buy the base model, you know, just look at the C8 Corvette. All the reviews of that for the first what, six months were just of a higher end model. They only just managed to get the base model um, reviews coming out because they just weren't available. Uh, yeah. So it's it's not just Tesla that does that, to, to be fair to, to Tesla, but it certainly is a um, something that they're doing. I, I totally could see, um, you know, if you could get a base model car at 25,000 though, and that can drive 250 miles and use a supercharger network and it, game on at that point. I'm yeah. I'm not a big um, you know, test, uh, EVs in general don't fit my lifestyle. I'm a super commuter. Uh, before the pandemic, anyway, I was driving 90 miles to work and 90 miles back, and and uh, I need something small and economical. And I also, because I put so many miles on a car, I don't need something that costs me 40, 50, 60 thousand dollars because generally I'll drive a car to 300 thousand miles and then it's falling apart at that point. 
Uh, granted, yeah. EVs are not going to fall apart in the same way, but there's going to be things like door locks stop working, windows stop working, it's just general electric stuff that happens in cars that yeah. I've had happen on all of my vehicles when you get up to 250 to 300,000. So I can't justify a $45,000, $50,000 car, but $25,000, that's it's turning into game on at that point. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm totally on board with that. What I won't be buying is a Tesla semi. <laughs> uh, and if my theory from uh, my predictions for 2021 hold true that, that we ran on, on the walk car, uh, if those hold true, nobody will be buying one this year either. Uh, but Tesla seems to be trying to prove me wrong. And they're saying that uh, come later this year, is it Q4, somewhere around there, they're going to be uh, or mid-year, they're going to be um, start selling these things and ramping up and have, um, uh, let's see, uh, Inside EV says about 350 vehicles will be produced by the end of August, so mid-2021. Uh, then the production rate will gradually increase to 100 per week by the end of 2021 and 500 per week by the end of 2022. Um, the truck seems like a well. Win they better to me, do something soon. Everybody's passing because, it seems like everybody. Well, well it, as far as the truck industry yeah. goes, you've got all these other companies, the startups that uh, you've got all these small EV passenger car startups, and they're all doing SPACs and whatever mm -hmm. to try and get money. You've got companies like Freightliner and Cummins that are coming in and saying, "Well, we're going to do EVs. We're going to do high um, hydrogen powered trucks, whatever it is," and they have the money to do this stuff. They have the production facility. They know what they're doing. The ramp up is not hard. These things are already on the road being tested and being used by some companies. Um, and Tesla's sitting there going, you know, we're going to have one later. Yeah. So <laughs> Tesla needs to, to kind of get its stuff together in this area, because like you said, uh, they're not alone. Uh, Daimler, which owns Freightliner, um, Volvo, uh, they they've got trucks pretty close to production, fully whether you know full EVs or fuel cells that'll be on the road soon. So there's a very good chance um, by the time the Tesla Tesla semi actually hits the road that it's going to have a lot of competition. Um, so I, I think def Tesla's definitely feeling the heat to produce. Um, and and keep in mind this was originally shown in November 2017. So we're coming up almost on five years since I, they've shown it. So, And I think another problem that they might face is uh, there's a lot of um, uh, people buy a Tesla because it's Tesla and, and that's cool. When it comes to corporate purchases, uh, it's does, all about the money. That's yeah, does, does PepsiCo care that they, well, maybe Pepsi is a bad example because I see Pepsi Coke, um, them wanting that image of we're cool like, like this, but you get to uh, independent owner operators or you get to um, local Old trucking Dominion companies. Yeah. Are they going to want to take the chance on a Tesla or are they going to want the backing of, um, of a, an existing manufacturer that they already use? A, with an integrated system so they they know where they can get repairs they know who to call when this thing breaks down it, it seems like it's a difficult sell once you get outside of the more into the the corporate buys versus the independent buys yeah it's tesla has a lot to prove i, I think they've gotten to the point with their passenger cars where they've established a basic level of trust with most consumers where it's like 
okay, you know, yeah, they're probably not going to go out of business. They'll generally take care of, you know, sometimes they kind of play games with people a little bit, but generally they'll stand behind it. They'll fix it, whatever. When you get into the commercial sector, th those guys are laser focused on the bottom line. It's all about uh, cost, you know, uh, TCO, total cost of operation, uh, uptime, uh, you know, so Tesla has a lot to prove. And um, I think there are some use cases where the Tesla semi makes sense, but I mean, um, I, I think fuel cells are, the class A trucks are the one area where fuel cells, I think make a lot of sense. And I think you could see a pretty intense uh, competition between uh, battery electrics and fuel cells in that area and also among brands. So um, I, it's far from a foregone conclusion that the Tesla semi is just going to take over the, the class eight sector and just own it. Um, yeah. I don't I, see I think that they definitely happening. have an uphill battle. For yeah. That. I think that's going to be one of the hardest markets for them to break into. And I don't know yeah. honestly why they're doing it. It seems like everybody else uh, right now anyway, is going into the smaller delivery market. You've got yeah. the, the bright drops and you've got the, the e-transits and the Amazon um, Rivian van. Yeah. The, the, you've got the canoe, um, which yep. apparently, at least as far as I can find, is actually a Hyundai. Uh, so um, there's the Arrive in Europe, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it seems like the local, the, the smaller delivery, the last mile, is mm -hmm. a bigger, more um, profitable uh, market to get into. Uh, so Tesla may have actually missed, missed completely on the semi. They may have gone for the semi and not realized... There's a, there's a, a courier van, basically, the uh, market that can already be built on top of a modified Model X chassis, something like that. Um, you know, who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, Elon usually, given, given enough time, comes through with his promises, but not on the timeline he promises. Yeah. So well, well, we'll see how it all pans out. Yeah, they may have also missed the boat on our last story. Who knows? Uh, and this is kind of a story that goes back to, I think, the week before, but it, it's kind of it keeps airing back and forth. It's the uh, the redesigned Model S and X and whether or not you're going to have a gaming control steering yoke for the steering wheel uh, rather than a standard roundish um, steering wheel. I've seen a lot of chatter online of people debating a wheel. What's a wheel? Uh, and. It, yeah. Steering wheels have not been round in many cars for a long, long time. They, you get a lot of D-shaped wheels in sporty cars, yeah. and it's all based off of race car stuff where you, you flatten the bottom, and it, uh, that offers a little bit more room for the legs. Basically, you can sit down yeah. lower, you can have the wheel lower, and, and it makes a lot of sense. Then there are some crazier ones that don't they, – they square off the top two, and they're not as, as common, but they exist. Uh, Tesla took the top and eliminated it. Mm -hmm. But what they really did when you look at it is they just made a square steering wheel. They made a round wheel or a rectangular, or they made a, a rectangular wheel, which is bizarre. And it's got no thread through on the top for you to, to grab. So it, it really does turn into this yoke design. And I can't say I like it beyond the, uh, the pictures. I can't see that making it into production as more than a option if NHTSA even allows them. Um, yeah. So I think the, the interesting thing about this is when they first showed it, a lot of people were questioning, is this even legal? Um, 
I actually kind of went down a rabbit hole of trying to research and investigate this. And the best I could find, it is, it is legal. It is allowable. It's just a very unusual design for a streetcar. Yeah. Um, I, I think people are still trying to figure out if Musk is basically trolling the whole industry and the whole world by like, ah, you know, look at yoke wheel. Um, well, what's interesting is um, I can't even remember. I want to say it was the drive. They, they changed a couple of characters in the URL on the Tesla site. Yes. They were able to pull up an image temporarily interior with a more conventional steering wheel. And then once, once that was made public, I guess Tesla kind of removed that from the source code or whatever. Yes. Um, which so, goes to my next theory, which is this car doesn't actually exist and the whole thing's Photoshop. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I think the first renderings and the first photos they showed were definitely Photoshopped. Um, whether or not this makes it to production, I mean, already NHTSA has said we're investigating. So um, they may preemptively tell them, no, you can't do this. You need to have a more conventional, either what I call a hoop wheel, whether that's round or D-shaped or whatever. Um or, or they might allow it because in, from a regulatory standpoint, there's nothing that I can find. And I've, I've looked long and hard, nothing that specifically prohibits it. So if they're really determined to do it, as of right now, there's really nothing to stop them. But my guess is it will be an option or they'll end up going back to a more conventional steering wheel. Do you think this is gonna open the, uh, the door for some of these other competitors that are coming out. If your only option is a yoke, do you uh, think, because I, I struggle with that. I, I think, yes, the, the e-tron GT is there with a Tesla. Yeah. It's awesome looking. Uh, the, the Taycan, same thing. You're gonna have some crossover there. Certainly if the Apple car ever happens, I, Tesla's gotta run for its money at that point. Uh, something like this could maybe open the door for people to go shopping, but right now might be a good time for Tesla to miss on with this wheel and make something that isn't per se popular because there isn't any huge competition right now that uh, outside of Porsche, is there? I think there's a couple of things with this is in the early days, the Model S was Tesla period. Kind of like, I mean, I don't know. The, the, the Prius was the hybrid. Yeah. Um, but now you have the Model 3, the Model Y. Pretty soon you're going to have a Cybertruck. So their lineup is a lot more diversified. So from a volume standpoint, the Model S and the Model X have suddenly become a lot less significant in the overall picture. So They're eating their own lunch, really, with the Model 3 yeah, and so, Model Yeah, so I mean, in a it's way, I mean, if Tesla's kind of being kind of flippant and frivolous about this, they'll say, you know, Model Model S and Model X volumes are, are so small now relative to the rest of our lineup. If we kind of if we kind of punt this and and it's it's kind of not very popular or whatever, who cares? You know. Yeah. Um, no. Now, I, I, if all I, of a I sudden totally... you see the yoke wheel across their entire lineup, that's that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, I can't see but, this uh, being as popular yeah. on the Model Y as uh, or the twenty five thousand dollar uh tesla i i think they, they'll probably stay more traditional with a lot of things because you're going after the more mainstream yeah uh, we, we'll see i mean it was uh i think they definitely surprised a lot of people um we'll have to see if it actually goes into production 
I think mm. that's uh, very much an open question right now. So, well, what surprised me is that this has gone on for like over an hour. Yeah, We've thanks got... for joining us. Uh, yeah, it's... do we have like a general inbox they could uh, send questions, comments, uh, whatever to? We do. We'll have to see if I get the emails. Hello at thewatcar.com, and that will come straight to me, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, let us know what you think uh any ideas we're we're we've got a million ideas much like anybody who's got a podcast so guests and um different interviews and whatever but uh right now i'm recording this in my garage surrounded by tires and uh ed's in his model three in his driveway so we will progress slowly and hopefully maybe keep this under an hour in the future yeah hopefully you enjoyed this um yeah this is a work in progress so uh thanks for joining us uh please visit thewattcar.com for uh regularly updated new content and uh hopefully uh regularly updated podcasts we uh we had a lot of fun doing this and we hope to do a lot more of them all right i'll talk to you later talk to you later